0: Hello and welcome to The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a Misspent Youth Productions. We are Codes in the Clouds. My name is Kieran. I'm Steve. I'm Jack. And I'm Joe. And this week Steve and I got to chat to the very interesting and very talented Luthier Daisy Tempest. Now, don't know what a Luthier is? That's fine. I've got a little fax machine in the corner who's <laughs> so he's gonna, he's gonna
1: shit out some sweet, sweet information. Daisy Tempest Fax. It's good to have him back, though, isn't it? It oh, is nice to have the. I know I st- I stood Lovely. in, but I, I I then I backed out of doing bit, it. Bit too much personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I still have a job if I
0: didn't research what a luthier was? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think we employ you; we just sort of own you. Daisy Tempest is a luthier based in London, in the UK. Daisy trained to become a guitar craftswoman in her early twenties, honing her practice and easing together a lifelong love of music and design. This sounds like someone that's still got a job. <laughs> Daisy has received the Newbie Trust Craft Excellence Award and is currently supported with an award from the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust. Tempest Guitars is named after Daisy's mother's side of the family who exhibit a long line of women artists and makers going against the grain of tradition.
1: Well, yeah, that com- that comes up a lot in, in oh, our uh, chat, Joe, doesn't it? It, it? does.
0: Uh, yeah, thank you, Robot. I've seen a lot of Daisy's stuff on YouTube uh she's great was she good to talk to
1: yeah yeah uh chatted to her about about well loads of stuff in, in, including initially what a Luthia is I mean, yes crucial oh, that's good that's good we we knew from you know a, a, a process of knowing what she does and then she's calling herself a Luthia, but i'm I'm proud to say that we didn't do the thing where we learned a new word and pretended we've known it all along oh yeah oh uh, yeah so we talked we talked about like the the A lot about the bad elements of her industry, but also, Mm. you know, the good elements, but that seems to be mainly her, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) So, with that in mind, enjoy the show.
2: I've been in Deptford for a year now, almost to the day. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know if you read the news recently. Um, Well, I think we all avoid it recently. I definitely have, but I, I was like absolutely bombarded with, with this link. And I was like, all right, and like literally, like five different people sent it to me. And it was a link from BBC News about two mm. weeks ago. And it said it was a link from Time Out magazine. And some journalist had put Deptford High Street on the list of the, the world's top 33 coolest streets.
0: Um, oh my
1: God, <laughs> that's, the, that's the death knell. For and 10. I
2: was like, hang on a sec, this is the same place that the night before I'd woken up to somebody literally smashing the window next door to my bedroom. Oh. <laughs> I
1: was
2: like, I think, I think this journalist is probably like minced down the high street at like 5pm on a lovely Monday evening when there was lots of street food and lovely things. And I was like, it's not the reality, man. <laughs>
0: like, missed a, missed out on like hole. the homeless men disco that they have sort of by the oh, sea yeah. <laughs> on the high <Shire> street.
1: <laughs> it's so- still
2: quite grim, but you know, it's getting there. It's getting there.
1: So you're there for a year. You've been there a year is that been
2: there about a year yeah yeah yeah. so
1: that's uh to do with the with the business right it's to do with the business
2: yeah so the business is in Deptford um the business sorry the business has been there for a year I actually lived in Islington for the first part of that and then my commute was just insane and I don't I, I just basically had the best rental situation ever and I couldn't really turn it down it was like this really old house in Islington. It was like three stories and the rent was three hundred quid a month. Oh my no god. No Nothing worked. But I was like, yes, I will live here and I will enjoy it because it's three hundred pounds a month and I want to buy some tools. And um so I commuted for ages and then I was like, right, this is ridiculous. So I moved into my current place probably about three months ago and it's just been a game changer in terms of productivity.
1: Reading up on your on your career though and your path of how you've got here, it seems like living in a in a like an empty shell of a of a flat with no heating is quite typical of the sort of thing. Like you've given up <laughs> a lot of, to to get to where you are. You oh not, my god! Yeah, you seem but to be well... really really driven driven to be a luthier, which well which is a word I only learnt. Post having seen your That's stuff. a very new
0: word to me. As yeah. musicians,
2: I am astounded. Not, not. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's one of those weird words. Like I, people either think it's a cult, or
0: or a police drama
1: starring Idris Elba. But I suppose why oh, Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah.
1: Where does that drive come from f- for such a niche thing? Like,
2: oh god, I think I think um, this is really interesting, and I was trying to think about this the other day because. Uh, I have been aware that I've been quite driven recently especially like I I work really hard and I just was thinking like why do I work really hard what is like and I was kind of thinking back to when I was at school and when cuz I, I cancelled going for drinks with a mate on Saturday night cuz I said I had to work and I was like if I was at uni that would be completely unheard of I didn't do any work at uni um And at school, I really did get away with the bare minimum. And I think it's from at at school and in that kind of environment, nobody expected anything of me, like completely nothing. I was very, very average at everything. Um, And I think when I turned into an adult, I kind of, that kind of benefited because I think people who are expected a lot of start panicking. And I was like, well, right. it's okay if I fail because no one expected anything anyway. Um, I know that sounds really weird, but I think that's where it comes from because I'm not really that scared to get anything wrong because I'm not very prideful. Like if I fail being a luthier, cool, I'll, get, I'll just go back to working in a bookshop like I did before, fine. But it's actually been okay and like, I'm doing it. So <laughs> I think, I think that's where it comes it's from. It's
1: important to be able to fail and to actually fail.
2: Oh, yeah, you know yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a
1: key part of any process, isn't it so
2: totally, yeah. and I think I don't know if it's the same for you guys like in a in a band when I don't know if you like write a song that you kind of then toss in the rubbish the next day, it's kind of like you learn something from that, and not being afraid yeah. of that leads to much better work, right,
0: yeah. I always say that uh, I always think that, like, especially, and I think it's the, more true with like maybe other art forms like comedy, especially. But I think with being a band, the first thing you need to learn uh, what to do is how to be rubbish in front of people and move on <laughs> from that. Because like, once, you, once you've had the worst gigs ever, no gig is too too big or too scary for you because you've had the worst gigs.
2: That's so true. Yeah, I think it's exactly that mentality. I think it's if you are used to being nothing or you know doing badly then the only way is up in a way
0: right yeah and also once you learn what it is to fail you realize that that's
1: not the end of everything and it's not scary
2: anymore it's not scary exactly
1: so was it quite a late decision to go into it
2: um yeah so i did a degree in english literature i did a master's um and it just became very apparent that again I just wasn't working hard and, and there's nothing more painful I've come to find in my life than than not having anything to wake up for. Um mm-hmm. and I and I got very depressed. I did. I got very depressed and I then I found sewing. <laughs> I just like I was going to an event and I didn't have a dress and like we're all on student loans. I was like, I'm not gonna buy a dress. And I, like, went to this fabric shop and I found this really cool fabric. And it was, like, the first time I'd actually been excited in a long time. Like, I didn't know. And the, and the dress looked awful. Um, I did wear it. But, <laughs> my God, it was an absolute pain in the ass. Like, it kept falling apart. And I was like, oh, my God. But I did wear it. And I was like, hang on a sec. That was great. And I I spent the night before, like, when I should have been writing my essay, I spent the whole night, like, sewing. With My bedroom was, like, covered in fabric. And it was All a right. mess. But I had the most splendid time. I had a great time. And I was like, right, maybe I should do something with my hands because I'm actually working really hard at this and it feels amazing.
1: Yeah, and it's easy to work hard at something once you've found your... Mm. So yeah. Like, yeah create... It's an insanely and... confident move to make your own dress, though, for a
2: yeah I mean again it was just it was just one of those things. like no one actually cared what I was going to wear because I wasn't the most beautiful in my friendship group, I wasn't the most interesting, and so I kind of just like survived on being unnoticed, and that you can do a lot of experimentation when you're unnoticed. <laughs> <All right. laughs> like you'd be surprised um so it was actually my biggest blessing. It was just like being slightly beige for a long time joe
1: Joe and i have got those first two stages down we've got the wasting all our time at university we did the same degree we we didn't do any work either so we're like you there great we've we've got the beige unnoticed thing so now joe i'm waiting on on our massive commercial success
2: i I think it's already guys come on like uh, you know you're a big band
0: (laughs) so i think what we're learning so far basically is that uh this all started for you with a real lack of belief in yourself.
2: Yeah. I think so. How's
0: how's that how's that going?
2: <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because now I'm sort of a bit of an enigma in my field in the I am a woman man, which is really sad. So I think everybody is like you must be amazing and I'm literally just like no, I'm used to blending in, so it doesn't freak me out the idea of being a bit of a uh, well, it doesn't freak me out the idea of pissing anyone off because that's what I do a lot of the time, just by being a woman <laughs> in the industry, people get really pissed off that I exist. Yeah,
1: I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about this because, like, music in general is is a heavily gate kept mm. kind of industry, and then you've you've gone deep into probably the you know the most male dominated area. Mm. Yeah, I would say of 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 the industry yeah it's like thousands and- of
2: gandalfs at every turn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i'm like can i you know you have to sneak past them and then and yeah.
1: yeah it's like well it's the motivation of that and the experience of that like like you say oh it, you know it's pissing people off that are sort of, that are in the industry already like is that like they what actively say things to you
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i had it? this classic interaction where um I also think, by the way, like I, I'm being a bit self-deprecating because I, I do have an amazing support network na- around me now who um, who quite frankly just love me. And I think that makes it easier to bear when people are being stupid because yeah. you're just like, hang on a sec, this is not normal, is it? And then the people that are around you and that love you are just like, no, that's not normal. They're, they're wankers. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So it's having that. I'm very, very grateful for that. But yeah, there was this one hilarious interval, which is actually disgusting, where this <laughs> dude, um, he he was sort of a colleague of mine in that he is in the luthier industry. I He is in the UK also. So, you know, that's quite a small net anyway. So, right. you know, I considered this guy an ally, put it that way, as I do with all luthiers, because it's a difficult job and it's nice to talk to other luthiers and that kind of thing swap ideas so he so i got an article in the ft about my business which was an exciting day and you know like i've been trying to get that article for years i've been sending emails to journalists just trying to find an angle um and i eventually got it and the day it came out this 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 colleague of mine posted it on his private facebook page forgetting that we were friends because he's such a boomer that he like literally <laughs> forgot to check his friends list. Um, so I he reposted it and he wrote the nastiest comment I've ever seen, like about me getting this article, being like, uh, "It was something about daddy's money, something about uh, mommy's contacts," and it just blew me away. Like as somebody who. I don't you know I'm not supported by my family, I'm a grown woman, like I do all this yeah. because I work extremely hard um and by the way, if my parents were willing to support me, great, I would do it but um just to be just to be completely dismissed as a hard worker and told that the reason that I'm given opportunities is because of some kind of nepotism is not only like distressingly misogynistic because I assume. You know, I think he actually used something like little girl. Oh, um,
0: uh, yeah. And,
2: and I just, you know, and then I basically messaged him saying, I'm really disappointed in you. And he, he said, I'm so sorry, my leg hurts. <laughs> and I was like... I don't know whether... What? And he was like, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain. So presumably he meant by that I'm in pain, so I'm angry.
1: It's the personality politics of it and the and the the assumption the the key thing is in the assumption Mm, yeah it doesn't investigate the individual thing like i think there are problems in terms of people with with wealth having easier access to certain areas of art Mm. you know but like that's that is a completely separate like systematic Mm. discussion and then it's just like taking these prejudices around that and then just attacking individuals about it it just makes
2: no yeah and it's it's, i think it's my accent you know like it's it's something that i have a friend called mary spender who's a youtuber and she's got a very queen's english accent as well and she gets exactly the same thing and again comes from you know well educated background but not a particularly wealthy one and she uh, she's self-made like i am and it's it's the most devastating i think thing that i've had to deal with um I think it is, yeah. And that that really hits home.
1: Does it affect like the business or like negatively or is it more a personal uh,
2: thing? Oh, it's more a personal thing because I'm quite proud in terms of that. I don't know where that's come from. I think I've always been very aware of privilege and I am very privileged. You know, I went to private school, but I went to private school because I got a scholarship because I worked my ass off. Um, and so I think now, and, and that kind of follows you around in itself. And I've always wanted to prove that although I'm privileged with the people around me and, and my amazing family, like it's, it is hard work. That means that I can live the life that I do. It's not anything else. Um, so yeah, that's, (laughs) I get, I get wound up about that, but that's pretty much the only thing I get wound up about, um, in this industry, which is actually quite amazing.
1: And so, that guy aside, <laughs> is there like a little community of luthiers? You know, like where you all yeah. write poems about rare grains of wood? Oh,
2: yeah. No, I'm not allowed in the groups because there's so much abuse about me, um, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so
1: there, is, there is a there group, is a but, group, they're, all but they're all
2: wankers. Um, there are a couple of real gems of people who are the kindest people, and they're actually the most successful ones. Shokora, uh and they're fantastic luthiers and, and i think just this this kindness of like passing their skills on and being so open with anyone new in the community has you know it's testament to them as people but they're, they're great and they are gems of humans um so it's a complicated industry but you know it, it needs to change because it's very difficult for anybody new i get lots of dms from people who are uh, actually a lot of gay men, interestingly, who feel like they, they, you know, they'll say to me, I've always wanted to be a luthier, but I'm too scared because... That's interesting. Yeah, because of this toxicity, like, of these men. Right. Yeah, that, that really upsets me because, well, obvious reasons, but...
1: But I wonder why, like, why has it sort of festered? In that corner of the industry, because there's no link, there's no mm. reason why it should. I know be it's just so weird, old.
2: isn't it? I have absolutely no idea. It's baffling. It's baffling. Do you guys have any insights into why that might be? Like, no, it's oh, it doesn't. But I, I just,
0: I have memories of like you know, going to music shops when you're a, when I'm a teenager, and like ninety percent of the people that are working in there have got that sort of that weird air of authority. And, like, they're mm. looking down on you. And they're all, of course, they're all sort of, like, men in their, like, 50s and 40s or whatever. That sort of whole area, that sort of, like, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Fetishizing like, uh, music. Yeah. Like, yeah, fetishizing yeah. vinyl, fetishizing instruments. That's very much, like, a, it's seen as very much a male pursuit and it's their little... Click, but I don't know. I've never understood, I've never owned a nice guitar. I've, you know, I'd I'd love a nice guitar, and I understand the appreciation of like, especially like watching your work. Which I mean, we'll get onto your videos as well uh, at some point, but like, the the, my most expensive and my most loved instrument is uh, the bass. Uh, is my fender jazz. But that was like uh. that was a very practical purchase. It was like, okay, we're on tour for the next two years. I'm gonna need something that's not gonna let me down halfway through Europe. Let's totally. uh, let's just go for an old trusty American fender. And it was you know, it was never <laughs> about like and also it looks like a piece of shit. I've I've bashed it up now. But it, it's Oh, still, it's gotta be it's, bashed up though, hasn't it? It still runs <laughs> you know. It's
1: runs, still doing I the bet job. it
2: runs like a dream. A hundred percent.
1: Well I think once any club of a certain type of person gets together then then they will tend to become insular and suspicious of outsiders but what i was thinking was maybe the industry like requires a certain amount of of money and disposable wealth and time to get into you know like a case like yours daisy is going to be the extreme rarity mm. right so maybe it is just a certain type of person that that is in that industry that is able to flourish within that industry and they don't want to give that little corner up you know yeah but it's, i think it's, you're
2: right
1: i i, I don't, yeah i i i doubt there's any sort of it's hard to find like a sensible correlation for a reason for discrimination isn't it it's, you know it's just it's just that they're just a, a bad bunch it yeah. sounds it
0: sounds to me like especially with the example that you gave uh, after the ft article that sounds like it's professional jealousy and then it's just lashing out beyond that finding a reason to lash out so whether it's you know your accent or you know your gender they they'll they'll find they'll find a reason they'll find an excuse as to why you've got this thing and they haven't got that thing
2: yeah it drives me nuts but again you're right you can't try and rationalize these people it just it just won't work and
1: is there is there something you do like technical technique. I thought te- you were
0: going to say technical. is there something you do that makes them do this like putting the blame it. on is there, <laughs> is, it, is
1: there something that you're doing are you are you not wearing the right clothes or- <laughs> all of the above no. No. yeah all no, of no, the above was, no is there something that you're doing when you're making guitars like that's technically different or are you, like, making waves in um, in, in that sense?
2: Uh, what I, I mean, I a couple of things maybe you could say is, you know, not making waves, but things that I do slightly differently to my colleagues. Um, materials, so I, I inlay paper, which is kind of weird. I don't think I know of anyone else right. who does that, but it's not unheard of, I'm sure. But in terms of actual logistics, I only offer one model um, right. because I want to do one thing and I want to do it well. And I don't think that anybody else does that. Uh, I also entered the industry at a higher price point than most people because everybody seems to have low-balled themselves before me. So I'm, you know, building an instrument takes about 300 hours. And I charge 6,000, which basically, you know, with materials and actual time, because it is going to be more than that, is minimum wage. And I just think that, People in my industry who are coming in at two grand are doing a disservice to their future colleagues because it's so I've done that as well, which was incredibly terrifying, and I got a lot of backlash for that. Right. But I think that's uncomfortable, and you need to do that if you want to change the landscape of, of an industry. And um yeah, that was that was scary, but th- yeah, that was something that I don't think anyone else has dared to do
1: yeah I... to really hyper specialize in exactly so so i mean an an expert could could tell one of your guitars because it's it's that signature model yeah and, and size and it, it never varies yeah
2: exactly i mean the wood will vary i'll absolutely tailor that to the right, customer yeah. but the actual scale length and the model size and my signature paper it stays the same uh obviously they can pick the type of paper but the, the concept stays the same and i just think that is yeah that encourages different buyers first of all because yeah I, I think that's important for the industry as well i think it's good to make people aware that you can commission a guitar if you want um so that's that's been good for other other buyers and and subsequently slightly easier clients um who are just enthralled by the whole process, and you can see this kind of joy in their, in their responses and their their eyes. Really, when you're chatting to them about it, they're just like, "Oh my god, I didn't realize I could do this." Whereas the more seasoned buyers who look for the cheapest luthiers and look for like make them do stuff they're not comfortable with because they've ordered like fifteen before. That doesn't it, appeal to me. Um, yeah. So yes, that's why I kind of do that. I think
0: I also I also think you make a fantastic point about how the price you set changes the standard for the industry. I think it was I think it was John Robbins who said over the summer about the Edinburgh Festival how their ticketing model is completely unsustainable. If you're asking mm-hmm. someone to go up and spend however much on rent, however much to get in the magazine and then rent out the oh. uh, the room and then you're charging like a fiver or pay what you want for a ticket, that's completely unsustainable. Whereas what you're doing is making it so that, you know, people that don't, ironically enough, that don't come from, you know, that don't have any money or don't have your Mm. accent would be able to go into this industry because that price would then become the standard. Whereas, you know, pricing out comedians at the Edinburgh Festival means it's going to become a middle, upper-class festival, basically. And, and that is, you're making yeah. it so that like working class people could see like Luther luthierism as like Luth- a viable, luthier-y. you know, yeah. luthiery. Yeah, that's,
2: that's exactly what I want. I think it's really important for yeah. people because and I was chatting with this guy. I was talking to a journalist this morning being interviewed for a sort of higher end magazine. And he was I told him my prices and he was like, what are you doing? Like, you should be charging far more than that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to because I've already like screwed with people's heads as it is obviously like, you know, but he was just like, he was, he gave a really good example. Actually. He said that he was having some building work done and the builders upcharged a scaffolding job from 300 pounds to 1800, which I thought was really interesting. And he was just like, they have skills they're not as like specialist as yours but it's the same thing and why is that happening in one industry and then it's not happening in like an industry that is just as you know obviously not as booming as a building industry but you know it's just sure. as valid and it's just as many well there's it's... a lot of people trying to make it as luthiers like what it, what is that gap like something needs to change
1: mm. well i feel like the only way that you can get real change <laughs> The, the, as you're talking about is with like you know like a union mm. or at least people acting in each other's in collective interests whereas it sounds like the industry is very like full of bitterness and jealousy and yeah, yeah
2: that's the undercutting thing cutting
1: each other and and obviously that's going to be a net negative for everyone
2: yeah it's you know? it's very peculiar and i'm so sorry i can't be more positive about the industry i'm just telling it from the side of it that i see
1: mm um, yeah.
2: But I think there is. That's why there's so much room for new people to come in and just make it different. Like it's exhausting. Well, one.
1: Well, let's 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 focus in on one positive of your business, which is going really well. Yeah. And and you know, people. I I I. You know, obviously, I, I play guitar, but I don't have an interest in the industry. Yes, I'm with but, you. Uh, yet. Yeah, I'm aware of your work, and I'm I'm like I'm like a fan of yours. Oh,
2: dude, you know? likewise.
1: So that, so well, so that's so that's like a positive step, right? So so therefore, then, what in your opinion, what makes a a good guitar versus a bad guitar? What's the most important? Mm-hmm. Thing
2: oh my god, oh uh, t- I mean, you know, I think good guitars don't equal uh, handmade or factory. I think it's sentimental, right? So like oh, okay. when I walked into my first guitar shop when I was 16 I bought a guitar it's probably a piece of crap like I know it is but that guitar means a lot to me and that would meet that guitar will mean more to me than if you gave me like a martin d28 it's just how it is so I think that's my take on guitars which is not super in in touch with what I do but (laughs) I think if I can (laughs) if I can be that somebody's first guitar then then great but you know you have to be realistic and a lot of sentimentality is attached to instruments, sentimentality sentimentalism, yeah, one of them um, is attached to instruments, and that's what I think what makes them so amazing because you can't you can't ever know how much something's going to mean to you when it's an instrument, like you, you never mm. know like I'm sure you've written good gu- songs on guitars, and it's just they've become closer to you as a result or happy accidents yeah.
1: as it were yeah I, I sold my first little Fender Squire. Oh. and I really regret oh, it yeah. I really regret it I should have held on to it but I, I need I did need yeah well
2: that's also sort of the thing isn't it you gotta be realistic in in both senses but yeah
1: well because I was gonna ask you if you you know if you see like a knackered old guitar that someone's using and it doesn't hold its tuning and it's just like real low low end does it does it like grind your gears really and, not apparently yeah not, not really, it seems really like, you know, I don't
2: know why maybe I haven't got to that stage of my integrity yet um But I really, it doesn't bother me. I'm just like, good for you, man. Like, you're having a great time. Like, if I can, when people ask me, like, what's the difference between handmade and factory built and I hand them a guitar that I made and they're like, whoa. Like, not to blow my own trumpet, but it's a different experience. It's it's very different because everything has been put together meticulously. Everything has been so carefully done that it does feel different. Of course it does. Um, Just like if you buy something from Lidl versus if you, like, make it by hand that's a really weird comparison but it's yeah it's I don't mind if if people like what they play then that's great but if they if they want to find out what it could feel like and they don't have any attachment to playing a bad guitar then then that's a really nice feeling as well I think it just completely depends on the individual and I'll never scorn any anyone for preferring their beaten up whatever it is to to one that I've made I'm like fair enough I respect that
1: like I wonder if I played one of your guitars, like could could I as a, a a basic novice on that sort of high high end instrumentation thing, like could I notice it? Yeah, is it something that's just like even to even to someone that doesn't know the the details? Does it does it stand out? And it's just this indefinable thing. Yeah,
2: I think so, and that just comes from giving it to people who don't actually play guitar. I think they're the most interesting people right. to give them to because they notice. And it's not quite certain okay. why they notice. So I think a lot of it is to do with craftsmanship, craftsmanship, Uh because, you know, you look down, there's, like, bespoke inlays, there's the fret ends are, like, semi-hemispherical and, like, carefully polished, and, you know, it's a different experience to hold. Uh, it's lightweight, it's comfortable. All of this stuff, but then sonically, it, it takes a lot less to get sound from my guitars, I've noticed, Um And just how I build them, that's how they're built. It's, they're resonant and they are responsive by nature. So, which is why I trained for so like, for all those years, like, you know, to learn how to do that. And that is noticeable when you put it on your lap and you're not, you know, you're used to something a bit dead. And it's, yeah, I'm I'm told that it does make a difference. And, um, yeah, that's what I've observed. And it's how I felt the first time I played a handmade guitar, so...
1: I suppose it's like it's like with wine like up to a certain level you can't tell the difference well I can't anyway absolutely yeah
2: it's exactly right
1: give me a give me a 100 pound bottle of wine I'm not (laughs) going to be able to tell the difference between that and a 10 pound but I'm sure if if there's a 6,000 pound bottle of wine then everyone can see that it's yeah that it's something special. Yeah,
2: maybe. I mean, I've never had the privilege, but if you guys want to test yeah. that out, you let me know.
1: <laughs> well, if, if I had the money for that experiment, I'd be buying one of your guitars.
0: <laughs> what about uh, you, let's um, let's call it. Where's where is uh Tempest One? Where's the where's your first guitar? Did you sell it or do you still have it?
2: I didn't want to sell that guitar. I didn't want to sell it because it was something that I built as the first design that I'd done, and I needed. Somebody to design me a company, and I was like, I don't have any money. How am I gonna do it? And I was like, maybe I could like swap it (laughs) for for a branding package and a website, and that's exactly what I did.
0: Wow! Whoa! Yeah.
2: So I practiced on this guitar. It actually was really nice in the end, and I was really proud of it. And I would have sold it, but that wasn't the point. I, you know, I needed to use all the resources that I had. And Mm. I I knew, I know that branding is important. I know that websites are important. I know that all of the stuff creates the foundation for your business moving forward. And I Mm. knew that I had to invest in something really good. And I had a mate who was, who is extremely talented at graphic design and websites and branding. And I loved his work. And and he's also a musician. And I was like, hey, Charlie, (laughs) would you... (laughs) be interested in doing a little swap. And he just like completely jumped at the opportunity and was like, absolutely. And we oh, worked together amazing. for a number of months on, on the brand. And he just said, do whatever you need for the guitar. Like just build it, um, how you want, and then I will love it kind of thing. So it was actually a really beautiful thing. And I can also go back and see him cause I know him and, and hang out and play the guitar and see how it's opening up. And that's quite invaluable in itself.
0: Sure, mm. that's interesting as well. Like the gr- the growth of the the instrument after you've made it.
2: Yeah, because it does tend to kind of open up and relax, and and the resins begin to crystallize, and all of this kind of stuff, which is quite interesting. But obviously, if you say goodbye after a week after it's strung up, then you can never experience that kind of thing. So, yeah.
1: But do you have that sentimental attachment to the to the guitars you make?
2: I think to my first one, yeah, because. Because it was the first one, and it went to a dear friend of mine, and I got my yeah. branding out of it, which I think just okay. and actually. But
1: now, now you can let one go.
2: Yeah, out into but the world, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, when I built, so I'm building one at the moment for a guy out in New York, and I don't know much about the guy. Like we, we absolutely have chatted, and he's such a nice man. But like the love I've put into that thing, all I want is for him to enjoy it, and yeah that's that's yeah. literally the only thing i want and there's so much love that goes into that that i'm not sad to see it go because it was never for me it was for him and that's all i want i want him to have it i want him to love it i want him to play it uh so that's why it makes it easy to say goodbye
1: i was saying to joe earlier i really would love for you to have your own like long form like uh, tv show i suppose about <laughs> how you're how you make i i can't tell you just how relaxing it is for me to to just watch the craft that that you that you're doing—it really is. It's you, it's this weird sort
0: of juxtaposition between what seems to be the reality of the industry and that it's it's quite it's well certainly for you your experience is quite combative and your backs up a
1: little bit and there's quite horrible people. However, the videos you put out oh they're satisfying oh i'm
2: so glad
1: but is 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 it like relaxed in your studio like yeah
2: so the hardest thing i had to learn i am an exceptionally scatty individual like exceptionally i will drop anything you put in my hand given long enough like i'm so clumsy the hardest thing i had to learn when i started Luthry was chilling out and like having a safe space where i just like don't rummage around and like rock it around and just be myself basically because you need to kind of get past that and I didn't realize how far I'd come until actually today was quite a big one like my boyfriend's a music producer and he was building some new he's got moved into a new studio and he asked if he could come into my workshop and build some boxes for his like rig or something and uh, I was like sure fine and the stress of him trying to make a box in my workshop was, uh, I literally was snapping at him left, right and center. It was so annoying. And and I was just like, should we put on a podcast? I was actually listening to your podcast. And he was like, sure. Bang, bang, bang. I was like, oh my God, you need to get out. You need to get out. So I think that was quite interesting because it's, I don't notice because it's just me in there. And again, I think that's why it's such a difficult um it's such it attracts so many difficult personalities because it's very lonely and you don't talk to anyone like I'm lucky enough I'm in a big building full of other people so they call me out if I started to get weird um (laughs) but like you you spend a lot of time alone and and like not in your head in a weird way because you're constantly working with this amazing material wood and it does not like being bullied like you can't get wood to do whatever you want unless you're prepared. It's like uh yeah I thought like it's like a horse, you know, like can tell when Mm. you're when you're not prepared.
1: So you gotta work with it. You gotta work with
2: it. So, you know, if that tool is not sharp and you try and get away with another plane, it will it will break. It will do something destructive. And for that it's concentration the whole time and you can't be lazy you can't be chaotic you can't do anything because one wrong move and you might have to start that guitar neck again and it's just oh god yeah it's so in, in
1: general it, it is like a therapeutic process for you yeah because if you but there are con- yeah there's yeah if you contaminants make it stressful other things
2: totally if you give up you know if you for a minute you get too egocentric and you're like, I can do one more pass on this without sharpening my blade, even though I just sharpened it. But even though I know it's blunt, then you will be caught out. (laughs) And that is the hardest lesson for somebody slightly haphazard like me to learn. So yeah, yeah, it is meditative, but it's like when it's working, it's working Mm. when you do everything properly, it's working really well. Yeah. It's lovely.
1: Just from, from our perspective from the from the outside it's just so the the sort of that calming vibe is just so important to like your I, oh, I don't want to say brand.
2: <laughs> no, you can call it that what, if you want.
1: What of what of what you do. Mm. You know like um it reminds me in fact of uh, as like a young young teenager I was off sick from school. Mm. And I was flicking around TV uh, <laughs> channels and I saw this this documentary of this guy in his workshop just just this carpenter. <laughs> And it was just so slow the show and he was just he was just working with wood. Mm. and and yeah, I, I lost that show. I could never find it again. It's like, you know no catch up or anything for me to, to to check back then. But um yeah, that yeah anyway, I get that same sort of vibe from you. So I wondered if you'd wow. ever consider like a long a long form kind of presentation of, of your work.
2: God, well um
1: you'd do like a documentary following you
2: yeah, I mean, if you have any contacts that the old BBC, hit me up. I'd love to do something like that. I think it would be really interesting. But I think... Um, so my next YouTube video, I'm actually doing a... I've recorded building a guitar neck from scratch. So it's right, very okay. much like that. Like it's it's a lot longer, and it's literally just the process of it. Um, because I like to listen to things. Like What I should have done was record the sounds in the workshop, but I just couldn't be bothered (laughs) so I will do one I think start to finish on my next build where I do record all of the lovely sounds as well um so yeah I think I will do that but then you know I'd love to partner with a documentary maker at some point and and actually record it where I don't have to worry about setting up shop I can shot I can really get into the craft because I think it is slightly disruptive when you have to be like oh am I getting this this is actually really satisfying like should I should I stop and it's like I can't stop because I'm into it and that's
1: because because then like YouTube's one thing but even like you know with Instagram it's so everything's so quick and Mm. snappy but it's I suppose it's hard to juxtapose those two things
2: yeah that has been a bit of a weird one because Instagram's been my bread and butter but I've recently obviously got into YouTube and I think it's been much more beneficial for my career to be on YouTube already yeah but yeah, it's a completely different kettle of fish. It's like all these platforms have very different rules, and I think it's just something you have to adapt to, and you have to just work harder. And that's that's it. It's tough.
1: One one thing I really love about what you do is these like backstories and little little facts.
2: Oh yeah, the Fact the cool answer. fun yeah. fun teacher facts. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> well, yeah, but because it shows like what a back knowledge you've got about the whole thing, like even how to, how they get in the the trees.
2: How they you know, so, and, get in the trees?
1: How they are getting?
2: The, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, so
1: let me. The even, tone? Even, the tone even, people. Even, yeah, yeah. <laughs> e- even how they're sourcing the wood, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh,
2: important, you know, to to recognize where your materials come from, especially in a day and age where everything is just quite thoughtless, like production materials. We we don't, we, you know, it's we're quite far removed. Of course, we are from materials and. Uh, process and all of this kind of stuff that gets us anything to us really so yeah I think it's important to to pursue that
1: so how, how does it square with like the environment like what you do because obviously it's, it's like you've got like a respect for for the wood but you're using like mahogany is like a, no, um, it's
2: a it's a weird one <laughs> it's, a, it's a really weird one I try and give back to uh a rewilding project that someone in my family runs so I do I donate a little bit every guitar and I think so I've got this like super rare wood and yeah it's it's really rare and it's quite fetishized <laughs> if that's the right word it
1: well, the, yeah I think this is this is what I was going to ask you about with these backstories is this this is this genetically yeah the tree mutated mahogany
2: yeah so I've got the tree the tree and I've got this other piece of wood, which is called Smoky's Spruce, which was felled in Smoky's Mountain Range, and it's just really old and very beautiful. But I think what I want to do is, auks- is make a guitar out of these two timbers and auction it to a rainforest charity. I think something like that would make me feel a lot better. Oh, that would be awesome. Because, um, yeah, it doesn't feel great, like buying wood when i don't directly know where it comes from like certain wood obviously i can find out where it came from and i do try and prioritize those woods but other woods you just you will never know and i think i want to do something like that to kind of very selfishly make myself feel better
1: well yeah but i mean it's not like the most environmentally harmful industry it's just cuz it's so direct cuz it is wood you know obviously you, you know print, pressing vinyl is is, mm. is way worse for example but it's just your mind doesn't link directly back mm. to it because you, you you don't think of the fells tree you know
2: totally totally yeah and that's where the danger comes in i think and in just industrialization and
1: but so so you haven't yet used that that piece of no uh, mahogany.
2: one one rare tree one celebrity tree the tree is the back in size and i've yeah i've got another one so i think what i'll do instead of instead of selling them because I didn't pay for those words I was given them um right which was enormously kind of the suppliers but I don't feel comfortable charging for those if I was just given them because if I break them (laughs) like I have to charge for them basically because if I break them then I have to replace it so when you upcharge wood that's what you have to do you like double the price right and uh I just don't want like because it's so unique I'd rather just like not have the stress of potentially break not that I will but you never know. And I think just doing a good thing with it would be good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, 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 we'll put a link. To- That's going to be the tagline we'll up- to the
0: episode. Doing a good thing would be good.
2: <laughs> I'm a very loquacious we'll- person, as you can talk.
1: <laughs> we'll put a link to that video in, in this episode so mm. people know exactly what we're talking about. But my God, that is going to be a tense moment when you first start treating it yeah right. I don't right. want to think
2: about it I actually bent a set during my apprenticeship so I've, I've been there but this right this set is you know that's been a while and, and you never know and I just sometimes the wood just does not want to go just doesn't want to go and you're like that's the whole thing it's like why won't you bend and it's the woods like you can't tell me what to do because I will break <laughs> and that's again <laughs> yeah. where you have to just check your ego and be like all right what do you want like, I'll give you anything. It's like a child. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see.
0: Do you, do you have much? Else? I mean, I've, I had a couple of other questions about what people play when they pick up your guitar for the first time. But I feel like <laughs> knowing knowing more about the, your process, and I think, because I was I, I think I was going to be a bit sort of cheeky with it, but it sounds like you have a great relationship with all your clients, uh, and so there isn't really...
2: Yeah, I have no surprises. idea how I've lucked out so well, but they are all awesome, like without exception. I love all of them, and I'm really grateful of that because, again, I've uh, during my apprenticeships, I observed some shockers for sure. But yeah, no, it's been amazing. And and as for what people play, when I mean the the horror in their eyes is hilarious because, like, not just Clark but anyone, like because they, yeah. I'm watching them. The and pressure. they're like, what, 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 what do I play? And then you sort of do like a really yeah. messed up G chord. And they're like, no, no, it's no. It's always that a G. <laughs> of
0: course it's a G. <laughs> yeah.
2: They're like, no, that wasn't it. Let me do it again. And I'm like, dude, it's fine. <laughs> like, you can just do what you want. Oh,
0: that's funny. Yeah, has, any, has anyone ever just picked it up and just gone straight for the power chords? Play it White out some Green Day for happened.
2: you. that's happened. a few times. And like, that's when I've been in horror. <laughs> I'm
0: just
1: right. like, don't sure.
2: touch it too hard. <laughs> but normally it's like oh my god what this is your child like how how do i how do i touch
1: yeah well it's when 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 does the moment of comfort pass like when do they feel like they're holding your guitar that you've made when i leave the room when
2: When i'm gone um but yeah i know it's i've I've very much lucked out with my clients they're all just the most wonderful people like some of them i haven't had much contact with yet because their builds are quite far down the line but There are a couple I'm really excited about. Um,
1: Are they mostly like pro musicians or?
2: uh, So it's a bit of a mix. I I got an order last, no, a couple weeks ago maybe from a guy who's like quite a famous musician, which really excited me but freaked me out at the same time because I don't think I've had anybody of that scale yet. So
1: um,
2: I I can't say who it is annoyingly because I haven't asked his permission. But.
0: Oh, I, know, just, just, I know. You've just ma- you've just mouthed the words Ed Sheeran for listeners.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wish <laughs> he's with Loudon. He's he's with a competitor or some. You know, they're not quite competitors yet, but I hope they will be in the future. Right. But yeah, they've got like a whole Ed Sheeran thing. Um, okay,
0: okay. So this is this is plan take down Loudon. Okay. I'm well, well,
2: maybe. I mean, you know, perhaps co- collaborate with Loudon would be nice, nicer, no. less aggressive.
1: Well, world domination <laughs> no they except no the substances. other guys in this industry we we we've seen the tone of of your industry and i'm afraid it's going to have to be
2: otherwise. Yeah, yeah i think you might be right i mean actually george up, so. george loudon is notoriously lovely so actually oh, okay. i think Fair i think enough. he can uh, and he well, can sit just- in
0: a respectable second place that's absolutely fine <laughs> yeah. damn right Thank you to Daisy for putting up with uh, mine and Steve's inane chat for way over an hour. I I very rarely let interviews run that long. Like I wish. Also, I think what it was also was that I just I didn't know I don't know anything about her craft. And much like people like Emily Juniper, it's just it's like a magic trick to me what she does. And I, just, I could have just I could have listened to her talk all damn day. So great talking to Daisy. Um, but what if what if people who are listening to the show want to talk to us, Jack? How would they get in touch with us on social media exclusively? Social media, you say? Well, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Instagram. You can go there and you can find us at Codes Clouds. Uh, mm. And also you can go to Twitter if you if you like Elon Musk and you want to get involved in the digital town hall. Oh, burning hot satire oh, yeah, from Jack. <laughs> Uh, so and you can get at Twitter, you can find us at Codes Clouds.
1: Yeah, very easy to remember. It's the same for both. Don't the same. forget email. Where'd
0: oh, you Where'd you get? Where'd you get? Where'd, right, Steve, what's the email address, mate? Info
1: at codesintheclouds.net. dot net. Interesting. Beautiful. Very good. Very good. Are uh, we jumping off other... of Twitter? Are we gonna? Are we gonna leave Twitter? Um, I just say I say just, I just, I just, I just, I just, we vibe it. Who bought? Who bought MySpace? Wasn't it someone like Justin Timberlake? No, oh, really? You're thinking he of invested the film, in Facebook. the social network? No, I'm certain. <laughs> right? Is you, it? Right? I'm gonna to We're up the back robot for. again. Get him going. Yeah,
0: but no, I'll just, i just do the thing we should always be doing. Did so. Justin he's bought Timberlake. MySpace and deleted all our old music. In June 2011, specific Media Group and Justin Timberlake jointly purchased MySpace for approximately 35 million. God, oh, oh wow! Pennies, pennies, um, uh, yeah. I thought I, I, I thought it was quite fitting uh, that our guest this week was um, was Daisy Tempest because it, it was only the other day uh, that I listened to uh, the late Sir John Gielgud reading oh, from the Christ. Tempest. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he didn't. You know, the speech, the speeches of uh, Prospero, which which are believed to be. Uh, Shakespeare's last words uttered to an audience as an actor. Really? Um, It's quite interesting. Let me... uh, So it's... We are such stuff as dreams are made on and our little paper is folded with a crane. Isn't that like... It's quite quite fitting that... Well, that's the crossword